Calvary Church. It's good to have both campuses together online this morning, even though we can't gather in person because of the rain. Uh, But my name is Logan. I'm part of our students team at our Quakertown campus. And I just want to take a really quick moment to say hi to all the kids who are watching out there. It's great to have you with us as well. I was super jealous watching those pictures of all the fun you guys were having at Kid Fest Reimagined this week. We hope you had an awesome time. It looks like you had an awesome time. And I just want to ask a question to all of the kids who are watching. Do you guys like candy? I bet you do. What's your favorite type of candy? Turn to someone in your house and tell them what your favorite type of candy is. That's a lot of great candies. I have one of my favorite candies with me here today. I don't know how if you can see, but this is a pretty big bag of Starburst. It says sharing size on it, so it's meant to be shared. It's the special bag with all the red flavors in it, because let's be honest, red Starburst are the best. And I have a question for you kids as well. If I were to just stand here for the next 20 minutes and eat this entire bag of red Starburst, do you think that would be a good thing? Or do you think that would be a bad thing? Put your thumb up in the air if you think that would be a good thing. Now put your thumb down in the air if you think that would be a bad thing. Well, I don't know how you reacted, but I think it might taste good at first, but I think in the end, I'd probably get pretty sick. And I think whether you're a kid or a student or an adult, you might ask yourself the question or I ask, can you have too much of a good thing? Or maybe adults, you've had an experience with something that's not candy. Uh, My mom, who gave me permission to tell this story before I go ahead and tell it, um, she grew up in a house where they didn't drink soda. Uh, My grandparents didn't keep it in the house, uh, didn't want my mom and my uncle drinking it, uh, just, just no soda. And my mom then went off to college and she found out in the dining hall at her college, there was a soda fountain that she could drink from anytime. And my mom's like, this is great. I can have soda for breakfast if I want to. And my mom, who had only had like a cavity or two here and there throughout her entire life, and she still brushed her teeth and still flossed at college, still tried to take good care of her teeth, came home from her first semester, went to the dentist, and discovered she had 19 cavities from all of the soda that she drank. Yeah, that was not a fun dentist appointment for my mom. And just because my mom had the right to drink all that soda doesn't mean it was the best thing for her. Well, as the adults you might know who are watching, we're in a series called Be the Countercultural Church. And we're looking at a letter that a man named Paul wrote to a church in a city called Corinth in the first century. And today we're going to look at a Corinthian catchphrase that the people there like to say. And the catchphrase went like this, I have the right to do anything. 
And as we're going to see here, what Paul shares with the Corinthians is going to be very countercultural with this catchphrase. So if you're at home and you have your Bible nearby or you want to pull it up on an app on your phone, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 10 today, and we're going to start in verse 23. And if you don't have your Bible nearby or your phone's in the other room, uh, you can just follow along with me as I read. And here's what Paul says in verse 23. I have the right to do anything you say, there's that catchphrase, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Now, there's that catchphrase, I have the right to do anything. And if you've tuned into some earlier messages in this series, you may remember that another Corinthian catchphrase may have been, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. The people of Corinth, they just kind of did whatever they wanted to. But Paul says, hey, just because you have the right to do anything doesn't mean everything is good for you. And that's good advice. And I could give lots of examples about don't eat too much candy and don't drink soda for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. But it's actually the next thing that Paul says, which is the key to this section, which we're looking at. Paul says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. And for the kids who are watching, that might be a bigger word that you may not know. And basically another way you could translate that is to build up. I'll talk to the kids again for one second. Do any of you guys like to play with Legos? We got some Lego builders out there watching. That's awesome. You know how you guys build up a giant Lego tower and you can tear it down just as quickly as you build it up? Well, we can do the same with people. Through our words and actions, we can build them up. And through our words and actions, unfortunately, we can also tear them down just as quickly. So this moves this idea that Paul is talking about from an individual one to one that's good for all of us, for a collective one. The way of Jesus compels us to love our neighbors, to lay down our needs and our desires to serve others. Paul is telling the Corinthians that love for others is the guiding principle here. And again, remember from an earlier message in uh, Corinthians here, it was a very claw your way to the top society. It was very uh, step on others and it doesn't matter who you knock down on the way to achieve earthly success. So in a self-promoting culture like Corinth, this idea that love is the guiding principle is a radically countercultural idea. So Paul's going to go forward and he's going to share a distinctly Corinthian example of how to apply this. So let's pick this up in verse 25. Paul says, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and anything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever's put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. And I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I being denounced because of something that I thank God for? Well, let's break this down a little bit here. 
So Paul says, eat anything sold in the meat market. That's kind of a goofy example. So the Corinthian butchers, what they would do is when they would be preparing an animal to be sold in the market, they'd take a few strands of the animal's hair and they'd offer it in sacrifice to the God of their choice. So Paul takes this and says, on an individual level, when you're out shopping at the market, when you're buying your meat for the week, it, it all belongs to God anyway. So it doesn't matter. Take it. I actually really like what the message paraphrases this as. The message says, Paul's basically saying, you don't have to run an idolatry test on every item. But then Paul talks about, if you're at a meal with somebody else, don't eat the meat. So Paul is saying, hey, go be in your community. Hey, have non-Christian friends. Hey, don't isolate. But then he might seem to contradict himself and say, hey, if you're at a, a non-believer's house, don't eat the meat. And, and I think Paul maybe expected some backlash from the Corinthians because he kind of asked those rhetorical questions of, wait, for what purpose? Paul, I'm free to do it. You just said so. Paul's saying this, in those cases, you're not eating the meat for you. You're not eating the meat for others. Whether it's the person who invited you, who's hosting, or a believer who also got invited with you. Because if someone, whether they were a follower or Jesus or not, Paul says, saw you eating that meat, they could wrongly conclude that you were following that God. Basically what Paul's saying is, hey, leave no doubt as to who you're following. But I think what's also important in this section is what Paul doesn't say. Because he doesn't say don't eat the meat and then flip the table over and stand up on your chair and launch into an hour soapbox on why no one here should be eating this meat. It's bad. No, that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul does not tell the Corinthians to turn their Christian witness into legalism or judgment. So those might be some words that are unfamiliar to some people. Um, I'm just going to give you the Logan definitions real quick. Uh, if you want to fight me on these during the week, that's fine. But here's how I would kind of define each of those. Witness, which is a good thing, is saying, because I follow Christ, this is something I'm personally not choosing to do, even though I might have the freedom to do so. This is something I'm choosing not to do so I can follow Jesus more closely. Paul's saying, that's a good thing. I, I would love you guys to have good Christian witness. But what legalism is, it adds on to it and it says, because you follow Christ and because I don't do this thing, you should also not do this thing to follow Christ more closely. Legalism is something that Paul was saying or not saying in this case, he doesn't want the Corinthian Christians to fall into. And judgment, in this case, we're not talking about the good act of discernment. In this case, judgment means whether you follow Christ or not, because I do this thing and you don't do this thing, I'm better than you. And that is not what Paul is advocating the Corinthian Christians to do here. He's saying, have good witness, but this can't turn into legalism or into judgment. And Paul kind of summarizes his point now in verse uh, 31. And he says this, So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 
Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God, even as I try and please everyone in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so they may be saved. And this is kind of an answer to those rhetorical questions. For what purpose am I not eating the meat? Paul starts off by saying, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God or do it because you love God. And then he goes on to say, hey, don't cause anyone to stumble. doesn't matter whether they're a believer or not or who they are. Love others. Paul ultimately brings this back to what Jesus tells us are the two greatest commandments, to love God and to love others. The countercultural message Paul is sending to the Corinthians here is this. As Corinthians or as human beings, you might have the right to do anything. But as Christians, we're called to put aside our personal rights to compassionately serve and to love others. Now, I don't know about you, but here today, when I go to Giant and I'm picking out my chicken for the week, I'm not worried whether some butcher is taking a couple feathers off of that chicken and sacrificing them to some God I don't know about and don't follow. So while this isn't a super relevant example for our world today, here's a few things from my life that I've been thinking about this week on maybe how can I can apply this. So if you were in Quakertown, and now this is the second time you're hearing this message, you heard me share this example last week, uh, but also in Souderton, for those of you guys who have gotten to know me or know me, you'll know that I'm a pretty big sports fan. And I love watching the Eagles and the Flyers and the Phillies and the Union and the Sixers. And let me tell you, I love and I have the right when I watch the Sixers to let my guys know that I think they're the greatest. Joel Embiid, that was an awesome block he just had. Ben Simmons, that was a great dunk. Way to go. And I have the right to let the other team know, you know, I don't feel the same way about you guys as I do about the Philadelphia 76ers. And this is going to get really relevant for me because if you don't follow basketball, the Sixers are actually starting their playoffs tomorrow. And they are playing their arch rivals, nemesis, my least favorite basketball team in the world, the Boston Celtics. And I have the right to let the Boston Celtics players know, hey, I really don't like you guys compared to the Sixers. But when I'm watching the Sixers or any other sports team that I follow, are my words and actions, whether I'm watching live, when we used to be able to do that, remember that? or whether I'm watching on TV, are my words and actions a good witness of how I'm following Jesus? And just to give you a little spoiler, not always. I need to work on that. Or I know not all of you are sports fans, so here's a different example. So I just got married at the end of May. I've married a little over two and a half months. And this does not put me in any position to give marriage advice because I've only been married two and a half months. So that's not what I'm about to do. But I've noticed in my marriage that, you know, I have the right to share an opinion on what I'd like to eat for dinner this week. And I'm a pretty simple guy. I can eat the same thing, you know, for four or five meals in a row and I can be content. But my wife, who's a very good cook, by the way, and she's teaching me how to cook better so I can share and help her with that. She, um, she likes a little bit more variety in her meals. Or another example, 
I have the right when it's time to, when we're talking about what movie do we want to watch tonight? I have the right to say, hey, let's watch that movie with that cool chase scene or all those explosions or they fight with the laser swords. But that's not my wife's type of movie. So it's not constructive to my marriage if I'm always, if my opinion always wins out of what we should have for dinner or what movie we should watch. Because culture tells me, hey, me first, but the gospel says, no, my wife comes first. And I need to put her needs and desires above my own. And so maybe that's not a relevant example to you because you're not married yet or you're still a kid. And I think there's many, many ways to apply this passage in Corinthians to our lives. I think there's many, why, many ways, excuse me, to misapply this passage, which I think it's so important to remember, this is not legalism, this is not judgment. But in our culture as a whole, we do value our rights. As Americans, we value our rights. And I am thankful for them. I'm thankful that I have the right to, to stand here today and this message can be broadcast on the internet. And I'm so thankful for that technology and, and we have the right to do this. And when it's okay, when the weather's okay, I'm thankful we have the right to meet outside. But our rights should not get in the way of advancing the gospel. So again, I can't really speak to how personally this applies to your life. But I do have some guiding questions as to how we as a whole, as Calvary Church, both at Souderton and at Quakertown, can maybe apply these in some different areas. So Calvary Church, instead of saying, well, we have the right to do anything, what if we asked, will this build up other people in our lives? Instead of saying, we as Calvary Church have the right to do anything, what if we asked, Will this be a good witness to our neighbors? Will this let those people in Souderton that we're trying to reach know how much they're loved? Will this let our neighbors in Quakertown know how much they're valued and how much their lives are valued by God? Instead of saying, hey, as Calvary Church, we have the right to do anything. What if we ask, will these actions glorify God and point all others in our lives? To him. Culture says, what are my rights? But the gospel asks us, what is right? And what's right is living with love and compassion, laying down our desires and our needs, and even sometimes our rights to love others like Jesus did. We pray with me really quick. Lord, you're good, and we thank you for all the many blessings you give us, and we thank you for uh, a dry building and the technology online. So even though we're not together, we can still kind of be together on this Sunday. Lord, this is a hard one, because I don't know about everyone else, but I'm selfish. I like my rights. I like my desires. I like my opinions. So Lord, I pray you would help me personally to lay those down so others don't see me, but they see you. They see your son, Jesus, through my actions and through my words. Lord, I pray that you would guide us and lead us all as Calvary Church, as Souderton Campus, as Quakertown Campus, to lay down our own desires and our own rights to seek the good of those in our community who we are trying to reach and not reach for us, 
but reach with your love and your gospel and your good news. Whatever we do, Lord, this week, we pray that it will glorify you and help others in our lives draw closer to you. Thank you, Lord.